0: Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 to 22. Now, uh, a good coach has an intuitive understanding of when his team needs to be pushed, when they need to be encouraged. Vince Lombardi, the, the famed coach of the Green Bay Packers, is said to have had an excellent sense of when to do what. A biographer recorded an incident when Lombardi decided to encourage his team at a surprising time. The Packers had just lost a game in embarrassing fashion. Two lost fumbles and a blocked punt for a safety contributed to this loss. And the team expected Lombardi to to take it out on them on the plane. Instead, the old coach let them drink a couple of beers and, and spoke to them cheerfully about how they would do better for the rest of the season. Later that night, he brought them and their families down to the Elks Club for a turkey dinner. Though the old coach could be gruff, awkward, and unrelenting, he also knew to show another side. He knew that his men also needed encouragement. Well, this week, as we are back in 1 in Peter, you know, the last two passages we worked through were not easy ones. The topic of submission is not something we relish or get excited about. And so Peter, like a good coach, knows that his audience needs some encouragement after the call to submission. And that is what we get today. Encouragement. Today, Peter again points to the foundation of our hope. Today, again, Peter roots, bases, builds our hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So let us rest in that as we read our text this morning. We read the word of the Lord from First Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 22. and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Ascends the reading. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We give all this to you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Our text this morning contains a few major instructions, things that we are encouraged, expected even, to do, and they aren't easy. The first instruction that we receive comes in, in verse 8, right off the beginning. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind, writes Peter. This does not mean that we need to agree on everything. It doesn't mean that we all need to fit in, into the same box The Apostle Peter is instead starting out our text this morning with a call to empathy. Empathy. Sometimes I wonder if our society remembers what empathy is. Empathy is trying to understand where where someone else is coming from. It's emotionally sympathizing with another person. It's walking a mile in their shoes. It's, It's feeling what they feel. It's treating them with respect. Empathy is a bridge for a broken relationship. Empathy looks at another person, a person that you may disagree with on on a great many things, and it recognizes that though you have your differences, you are both struggling, you are both hurting, and you both need help. Empathy finds the similarities in spite of our differences and gives us a banner to unite under. As you can imagine, empathy is hard. We often do not know or do not want to know how we are similar to those that we have disagreements with. It it makes us uncomfortable. What makes us comfortable is lashing out. What makes us comfortable is is pointing out our differences and, and putting those who understand things differently than we do in their place, which is naturally below us or at least far from us. And Peter knows this. Which is why he follows up a call to empathy with a call to refrain from vengeance. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, writes Peter. Peter is again pointing out our inability to seek justice well. For how often do we confuse vengeance for justice? I see it all the time with my boys when, you know, one of them will do something that that angers the other. say they they step or accidentally steps on, on one's toe, Right? And that is followed by a shove, and then we have one hitting the other, and then the other hits back twice as hard, and then gets hit three times as hard, and then it's an all-out brawl as mom and dad are scrambling to to break things up and figure out what what started everything in the first place. Instead of recognizing an an innocent, even clumsy accident, we want vengeance for what has been done to us. We escalate a situation instead of de-escalating it. And yet, what are we asked to do? We are asked to de-escalate. Peter tells us that instead of repaying evil with evil, instead of repaying a punch with a better punch, we are asked to leave vengeance to the one to whom it belongs, to God. And we are encouraged, we are instructed to bless. We are told to empathize. Peter writes that we are called to this. So how are we doing with that? How are we doing with being empathetic, not just to those that agree with us, but also to those that completely disagree with us? How are we doing with not repaying evil with evil? How are we doing with blessing those that have hurt us, that have done evil to us? Man, that's some heavy stuff, Peter. It's brutal. The thing is, he doesn't even stop there. He gives us our next instruction in verse 14, where we are told not to fear those who cause us to suffer. What? We're not supposed to fear those that cause us to suffer? Nobody wants to suffer, right? I don't want to suffer. It's natural to want to stay as far away as possible from anything that would lead to suffering, We naturally fear suffering, whether that suffering is enforced by by someone whose perspective on politics, faith, or morality is is in conflict with ours, or that suffering is enforced by a virus that seems unbeatable and, and has kept us isolated from each other for months. We fear suffering and pain. And Peter tells us not to. Man, how are we doing with that? How are we doing with not fearing pain or death, not fearing suffering? And then shortly after his call to have no fear, Peter tells us to always be ready to defend what we believe. Because that's what we just love to do, right? Like, that's our favorite thing. Talk to people about how we believe in something that we can't see, that we believe in a trinity that we can't fully explain or even really understand in our own brains, that we believe in a book that is thousands of years that, that we believe that a book that is thousands of years old is the word of God and that he used men fallible broken men prone to mistakes and errors to write down his words and and yet we believe that the bible is true that it is not flawed despite those tools that were used and further that it is relevant right it's relevant so relevant in fact That though culture longs to speak into it, to influence it, it's actually the Bible that speaks into culture. That the Bible never goes out of style, never gets too old. That the Word of God is never outdated. That the truths of Scripture do not fade or decay with time, but retain their sharp edge for eternity. Are you prepared to defend all of that? Now, there are books you can read and instructions you can receive, and I encourage you to do so. The world around us, nature, science, when it is not manipulated by man's agenda, is a testament to the hands of God at work in the world around us. Nature screams out that it was designed and that it is not an accident, but that it was created intentionally and with purpose. Are we prepared to defend why we believe what we believe to a world that is incredibly hostile to our message and our faith? Do we have the knowledge? Do we have the courage? How are we doing with these directives that have been given to us by God through the pen of the Apostle Peter? How are you doing with loving your neighbor? How are we doing with not fearing suffering? How are we doing with defending? what we believe Pastor Dan you might be saying you told us this was going to be an encouraging sermon and that Peter was like a good coach and, and was going to be encouraging us this list is brutal <laughs> i'm not very good at these things i'm terrible at a few of them and barely passing at the other how is this an encouragement well as we keep reading our text this morning we get to verse 18 to 22 and this is where this is where it all ties together The title of our sermon this morning is Hope's Foundation, and here is where we begin to see that come to light. First, we get this wonderful picture of the gospel in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. This is what Jesus did. This is why he came, to suffer and die once, one time, for all time, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus for us broken sinners. That, that through this act, because of this death on the cross, that He might bring us to God. He is the one that does the work here. He perfectly paid the price for all of our sin. That, that through faith in Him, we are, we are covered in Him. So that when God see us, sees us, He doesn't see the filth of our sin. But instead, He sees the righteous Perfection of Jesus. And this is further emphasized a little later on when Peter writes about Noah and how his family was saved, brought safely through water. And then we hit verse 21 where we get this fantastic proclamation. Baptism, which corresponds to this, corresponds to Noah and his family being brought safely through the water, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism saves you. What a promise. What a proclamation. When someone asks where it says in the Bible that that baptism saves, just just point them right here to 1 Peter 3, verse 21. Now, can we walk away from that faith? Yes. Each of us has the ability to become a lost sheep, but, but what does the good shepherd do with the lost sheep? He chases after them. Maybe you were baptized as a child and you don't feel like it really meant anything. You've you've walked away from the faith that was instilled in you and you've lived a life that has carried you far from God's desire for your life. Could He ever want you back? That you are even thinking that is a testament to His work in your life right now. God is continually, constantly calling His sheep to Him. He will continue to pursue you You cannot outrun His love and His grace and His mercy for you. Maybe you've never been baptized. You feel like you have a relationship with God, that that you've been saved. Does this mean that God hasn't done His work in your heart and on your behalf yet? Hey, you know, God can work outside the box that He has given us in Scripture. It's not my place to limit how He has been at work in your life. But if you have not been baptized, please fill out our online connection card. Give me a call. Write me an email. Let's make that happen because being baptized is part of God's instruction for the Christian. It's a way that he longs to bless us. It is a way that God pours his grace out over us. It's not something that we do. It's not a testament that we make, but something that God does. It is His proclamation of fathership. It's His instilling you with faith in, Holy, in the Holy Spirit and welcoming you into the family. Now maybe we look at this passage and we keep reading and we say, but, but but, pastor, it says later that it is an appeal to God for a good conscience. Doesn't this mean that when we get baptized, it is us appealing to God, us calling out to Him, us declaring our faith in Him? And to that, our text this morning responds, no. For it is not us making the appeal, but the baptism." Baptism is the subject of the sentence, not us. It is the baptism that appeals to God. For it is through baptism that we are united to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2 verses 12 to 15. Having been buried with him in baptism, we read, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing Over them in Him. In baptism, we join Jesus, are covered by Jesus, you are united with Jesus in His death and resurrection, which just continues to emphasize that our salvation is not something that we do, it is something that has been done. We do not get to participate. And that is the foundation of our hope. For if we participated, we would mess it up, sinful beings that we are. Even coming forward to be baptized is the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit enabling us to take those steps. Everything else that takes place in this passage, loving your neighbor, not not having fear of suffering, defending our faith, all that flows out of Christ's work on the cross and the salvation that has been won for us. That's what it all flows out of. When we look back at verse 9 where it says that you may obtain a blessing, the word obtain is more often translated inherit. And an inheritance is not something that you earn, but something that you are given, whether your actions deserve it or not. And so the actions that we are called to, the empathy, turning the other cheek, right, are actions that flow out of the inheritance that we have received as children of God. Christ is the basis of our love for our neighbor. And the fear. Peter's response to the fear is that we honor, that we rest in Christ. One of my children told me the other night that he he just had this feeling that we wouldn't see the morning. That something horrible was going to happen and that we would all die before we woke. I told them that I didn't think that that would happen, but that if it did, we would all wake up rejoicing in heaven, worshiping God, and getting to meet the member of our family that we have not yet had the opportunity to embrace, our little Ava. We have been tricked into thinking that death is something to fear. But because of Christ's work on the cross, because of the salvation that we have been given through our baptism, we have no need to fear. The worst thing that can happen to us is that we die and receive our promised inheritance and the defense. So often we rely on the apologetics, the defense of our faith through philosophy, reasoning and science to not only be what we rest in for our faith, but we also try to use it on offense that we might argue people into heaven. Let us rest in the faith that God has given us. Let us rest in the nature and the world around us that he has provided, that sings and calls to his glory, that proclaims the mighty work of his hands. Let us watch the sunset and know that our God not only understands, but created, invented beauty. Let us hold a little baby and know that God is intentional, purposeful with his design. Let us rest in his capable hand. And when it comes time for offense, for offense, sorry, let us proclaim the gospel. Let us not attempt to argue souls into heaven, to win them with a clever wit and a fast tongue. For this can only fail. Instead, let us trust the work of salvation to where it belongs. Let us proclaim Christ crucified, the righteous one, given for the unrighteous, the sinless for the sinner, that the unforgivable would be forgiven. Let us love our neighbor. Let us stand firm against fear and let us defend our faith, for this is what God has called us to do as we rest in Him and His power and grace. And when we fail, for we will fail, let us remember our baptism. Let us remember all that God has given us as we are washed with the water And the Spirit. Let us remember that it is not our works that have saved us, but it is the work of Jesus. Let us remember that there is forgiveness for our failings, that God has grace for our brokenness, that when we run from Him, we cannot outrun His love. Rest in the truth that it is God who saves, not because we are worthy of saving, but because we are His. We are His creation, and He loves us. And his love for us, proven over and over again, is the foundation of our hope. What an amazing, wonderful, powerful, and gracious God we serve. Amen.